We've been in our study for the last number of weeks, and we've been studying what it is, uh, what are the characteristics of someone who is a growing Christian. It's good to understand and to, to kind of take an assessment from time to time. I'm not, you who know me well, you know I'm not very introspective. Um, I don't have time to be introspective. Uh, why sit down and think of it? But it's always good. And as I was thinking, um, even in the spring, Mark and I were talking about the, um, the series for the fall, thinking about what it is that a believer who is growing, what are the characteristics? And we've seen a few already. We've seen uh, the one who is a growing Christian worships, he serves, she is holy, loving. Uh, they gather with each other. We gather together. We are humble. And all of these, and, and that all is wrapped up in this one goal, that we are like Christ. That we are becoming more and more like Jesus. To take on His attributes and how He loved, how He treated. All those things, we desire to be like Him. And that indeed is the goal. This morning, I have a question for you. What is it that you hold dear? What is valuable, valuable to you? Um, what is it that you say, you know, I, I can't re- live without or I really want? And, and humans value different things. I bet if we, we ask, we'd have, uh, if I polled you today via, your app, via an app or something like that, we would have a lot of different, if it was a fill-in-the-blank, a lot of different responses. Some people are really, they value things such as money. They live for money. Those are the things that they, they think about, they, they desire. Other is the stuff that money brings, and then you have to have a place to store it. And so you get a storage unit, and it looks kind of like that. Other they value family. That's the, the most important thing, and others value their time. Don't waste my time. And so we have a value on different things. And we order our lives place, based on the value that we place on things. And so the, what the question is today is, what is valuable to you. What is it that you hold dear? What is it that you find yourself thinking about? About you dwell on what you protect, what you secure. What is it that's valuable to you? In some ways, in varying degrees, all of these things are value to us. But often we, as a follower of Christ, forget what is most valuable. Often we place great value on things that have no lasting value. We hoard them. We collect them. It turns out that God has a lot to say about what we value. In fact, he has a lot to say about money and possessions. In fact, in his book, I didn't do the, the math myself, but Randy Alcorn has a book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. He says there's 2,350 verses in Scripture dealing with money or possessions. That's more than faith and grace combined. That's more verses than heaven or hell. God has something to say about what we hold dear. And the principles we learn through Scripture are principles that are there to order our lives in this matter. So this morning, our character trait that we want to desire to have to be a growing Christian is this one of giving. Growing Christians give. Well, so 
you can understand with all those verses, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, where do I begin? And actually, that was very, the beginning was easy. It was the rest of it, how to, how to crawl all of this in 30, 40, 50 minutes. Um, it, the, but beginning was very easy because I came to this very one clear point, give because God gave in love. Really, that was the first thing that, spoke, that jumped out of my mind as I was looking through the verses that God gave. We give because God gave. And that's fairly understandable and easy to remember. God gave, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave. He gave what was valuable to Him. He gave. Jesus gave Himself. Paul talks about that often in the New Testament. The gift of Christ. Paul in Romans, as he's, he's writing to the, the church in Rome, he says, but God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The giving that God gave was not something, a token, but a demonstration of the depth of His love. God not only gave, but He gave in love. And that, that love is, that His giving is rooted in the love of God. So if you understand, first of all, that we give because God gives and He has given in love, then we have a very firm foundation point for our giving. We can come to understand that God's giving to us is rooted in His great love. And so to give finds an easy starting point. It finds a place in which we can attach the great wealth of God as He gave Himself for us. So now comes the hard part. We understand the basis of our giving. We understand the basis because God loved us. He gave. 2 Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you might through His poverty become rich. No more clearly is that giving known in the death, the sacrifice of Christ. Sacrificial giving. So if we're thinking about giving, that's the trait that we should have. We understand that God loves and that He gave in love. Let's take one more step of who God is and how He gave. We give because God owns it all. Let's back up because if we say that God loved us, He gives in love, then you come to this point here, give because God owns it all. And you say, well, what does it have to do with my giving? Well, fairly simply, from the very beginning in the Old Testament, I just picked just one passage, and David here is rejoicing the Lord, and as he speaks, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, speaking of God, and from your hand we have given you. Everything comes from you, and we're, really we're just giving back what you've given to us. It's from your hand. We give because God owns it all. It's easy to think for us, well, I own this, and when I give, God, you better be happy because I gave it to you. When in reality, God owns it all. God owns what He has given to us and what we give back to Him. Acts 17, Paul is is speaking, and as he stands in Athens at the Areopagus, and he speaks of this 
a God that they do not know. He says, the God who made the world and all things in it, he owns it all, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in a temple made with hands. First of all, he established this God owns it all. And as he continues, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God does not need what you give him. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So the very next breath that you take, does everybody do it? There you go. Just making sure the respiration is going well this morning. Um, he gives all of us that very next heartbeat that you and I have. You know, we stress sometimes over health, over life. It is in his hands. The next beat, the next breath, all things come from God. We know James. James says every good good gift and every perfect gift is given to us comes from above, down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. He owns it all. And James would tell us every little thing comes from God. He used to say, oh, the big things, salvation, that comes from God. But every little thing comes from God. Every good gift. Understand the, not only the breath that we breathe, the, the light, uh, the life that we have within us, but the, the beauty of a fall in Greenville. There's a gift from God. You may come from a place in the world that doesn't have fall much. It's nice. Then all the trees fall, the leaves fall off the trees, but that's okay. But the lesson is that God owns it all. Now, I'm not going to cover this much, but let's just put this on the table. Because God owns it all, we are to be good stewards of what He owns. Okay? There's 2,350 verses, so I, I really couldn't do it all today. You would walk out at some point. But understand that God requires for us to be a good steward of what He has given us. Right? He owns every little thing. So I asked the one who's a follower of Christ, who's a believer... Why would we withhold from God or withhold from others since God owns it all? The God who gives you breath, gives you the ability to earn. We must not hoard. We must use what he gives us to bless others. See, here it is. Once we see the giving nature of God, His love for us, then it becomes easy, once we have a vision of who God is, to give from, from what He has given us. But if we don't have a good picture of who God is, we're very stingy because we think it's ours. We don't realize that He owns it all. And really the root of our stinginess, the, the reason we don't give to others and their needs because we think it's ours, we don't acknowledge who God is. That he owns it all. And there's a powerful change of perspective in the heart of a believer as he grows to understand that God owns it all. And it's our privilege to give to others and to give back to him what he has given. So not only does God, has God set the example in giving and love, we give because of him, we give because he owns it all. He has merely given us to be stewards of what he has given to us. What a blessing it is to be the middleman, as it were what God is doing in the hearts and lives for others because he owns it all we are good stewards we're good stewards for what he gives that is his so we give because God has 
because love doesn't is given. We give because he owns it all. But three, we give because it furthers God's mission. Now, we here at GBF, um, we, we tease, but we say, if you're a member or if you've been attending for any time at all, hopefully if we call you in the middle of the night and you say, what's the mission of GBF? You'd say, reaching souls and building lives in love. And you'd fall back asleep at that 3 a.m. call. Okay? Hopefully it's ingrained in us all. But what that is, is simply God's mission. It is the Great Commission, the dual track of reaching those who do not know Jesus and discipling and, 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 and impacting those who do know Christ for the gospel so they may grow. And so it is about God's mission. So we give to help in the mission of God. Now, now Paul, as he is writing, he has several things. He talks in 1 Timothy, the elders who rule are to be considered worthy of double honor, those who preach. But then he talks about also in Philippians, he says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I've left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving, receiving, but you alone. So here, here it is, here's Macedonian, we're going to, cover them a little later probably this evening because it was 2350 verses and i couldn't get all of it in uh, and so in macedonia they were actually a very fairly poor those churches were fairly poor but when he came to them and he spread the gospel and then he left their area and went on to corinth and other areas they continued to give to him so that others would be able to hear of the good news of jesus christ now we know from history and from what paul tells us he was a tent maker he would come and set up shop in the, in the marketplace. He would make tents. And he would uh, use that as a platform to talk to the merchants around him. And he would then go to the synagogue on, on Saturday, and he would preach, and then he'd get run off, and then he would continue his tent making, and he would talk to those who followed Christ. But this church, they continued to give to him after he had left Macedonia. He says, for, 16, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now that I seek the gift itself, Paul says, it really isn't that I receive it. He had a job, but he made tents. He said, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Begins to give us the understanding that they were growing in Christ. This profit may not have been dollars and cents or shekels and denarii and things of that nature. It was a profit of their spiritual growth. He says, you're giving, you're giving to the gospel mission, and it's increasing in profit on your account. Giving not only to support the mission, but those of the church, those who are in need in the body of Christ, is a constant theme in the New Testament. Just um, one verse will helicopter in and drop in, 1 John, well, verses uh, 3, 17 and 18. Speaking to the believer, John is, this is the, the beloved uh, disciple of Jesus. And he's speaking to his beloved people. And he says, For whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How is it that the lo- you say the love of God abides in you and you see someone in need and you close your heart to him, to her? See, we can talk about it all day, and John continues. He said, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Put dollars, put help, put time to your love. And so not only do we support the gospel mission, we think of spreading the gospel, but also in the gospel mission is that, that discipling and supporting of the saints. It's building up of the saints. It's edifying the saints. And so here, Paul says... 
And throughout Scripture, it says not only do we support the gospel mission in, in the cause of Christ for those who give the gospel, but we do so in loving one another and we care for one another. And so we give. We see a need and we meet that need. We don't say, uh, well, I wish brother, sister so-and-so would take care of that. God gives us that need. So God gives this to us, the opportunity to give, to support the work that, that God is doing, the mission that He is doing in this world and, and to support the people who are part of that mission. Why? Follow the logic train, folks. Gospel, love, good news of Christ from His love, God's love to us, prompts us to give. Well, let's talk about this biblical giving. We give because it is biblical. God speaks of that. Um, we'll start in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is a, a great model for us, but it is not binding in the New Testament, but it's a great model. In the Old Testament, there are things, the tithe, the tithe was a tenth. So 10% of what you received, and so you would have that. There are also free will offerings, and even it seems, as, as you read, and most scholars would say, most Jewish people in this Jewish economy in the Old Testament were giving almost 23% of what they received, what they earned every year, either to the temple, to others in free will offerings, and, and different things that went on for them. And then they were also encouraged to help over and over those who were poor, to help those who were strangers in their land. That's, you know, we touched on something today, right? To help on those who were aliens in their lands. Right? This is what the Old Testament did. That's what God required of them. To give. And so the giving was a wonderful work here in the Old Testament. Now we have the verse of Malachi because God sent prophets to the children of Israel later after the kingdom was split, after a lot of things were going on. And Malachi writes, Will a man rob God? And the response comes back, Yet you are robbing me, God says. But you say, How have we robbed you? God answers, in tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of uh, you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. And he says in verse 10, bring to the whole, the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. You have the Old Testament tithe, Free will offerings, but you have the promise of God that when they did that, he would be overflowing in how he treated them. So we move to the New Testament. It's easy to say that's the Old Testament economy, so close the door on that. But we have the principles of what God said in the, in the Old Testament, now coming to the New Testament. And while it is not as defined as the Old Testament, I believe giving in the New Testament is more radical. You see in the New Testament, sacrificial and generous giving. Jesus is in the temple. So the Temple Mount, okay? So if you, I didn't do the slide thing for you. Um, temple Mount, he, sit, he sits down, okay? He sits down and watches the people as they put their money, their tithes, their, their, their money into the basin that they had for it. Okay, so he's watching that. Uh, verse 41 of Mark 12 says, He sat down opposite the treasury 
and began observing the, how the people were putting money into the treasury and how many rich people were putting in large sums. You know where this is going. A, a poor widow came and put two copper coins, uh, which amounted amount to a cent. Calling his disciples, he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributions to the treasury. Why? Now, let me, let me say, I, this is the humorous story, because we were in, in, uh, in Bethlehem condo store, and uh, the same coin that she put in, you can get from the same time period. And instead of being a cent, um, he offered me first $2,900, and it came down to $2,300, $2,400. My wife still said no. I don't understand about it. It's just a cent, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it would have been a little extravagant, I think. But look what he says about this. This is what she put in. For they all put out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned and all that she had to live on. Now, why didn't Jesus say, honey, that's okay. Don't, don't put that in. You need that. Jesus didn't say that to them. Um, he acknowledged the rich and how they put in lots of money. But he didn't tell her to keep it. Interesting. But according to the Old Testament, in the giving, God would have provided Malachi 3. But you look at the example of Jesus himself who gave sacrificially. Sacrificially. He gave himself. He said later on, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And as Jesus starts to radically um, change, going from requirement at every feast day and every time they were to give, he talks about this. The amount that you give, the amount you will receive. And I am one to be the first one to cry against a, those who would preach a prosperity gospel, give to get. Because giving to get is not the heart of giving, is it? You don't give to give something. You give because of who God is. But this, this radical form, but the main point is to give generously. First Timothy Six, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He continues, instruct them to be good, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. That future is eternal life. So he says, do not focus on the uncertainty of riches. Do not focus upon what you get, but give in such a way to glorify God. Give biblically. Be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. Remember, he says, lay up for your treasure, yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth. You know, we think that wealth is here, that life, all of life is about the now. It's not, but what God is doing. Many of you know the story of the Alamo, and then the Sam Houston comes, and if you've read any history of Sam Houston, now the, he's at the 
um, with Texas leading the battle, the general, and uh, then they incorporate Texas into the Union of States. Um, and there's a picture taken just a few years before his death. But he was not a very um, regenerate man for most of his life. He was um, a very much of an unrepentant sinner. And it's interesting, in, uh, in archives they have um, a letter from Sam Houston to um, Lyndon Baines Johnson, president's great-great-great-grandfather. Uh, and uh, his grandfather, Baines, was a, a minister. And between Sam Houston's, I think it was his third wife, and, and Baines, they kept working on him, giving him the gospel, telling him he needed to convert, to come. To, he, was, he said he was a nominal Catholic, but he, he, he didn't live um, in any fashion uh, that he knew Christ. And so they continued to work on him. At one point, he finally gave in to Christ, as, as far as we can tell. And uh, he was converted. And so he, a local minister baptized him. And so they baptized him, and the, the story is told that after he was baptized, he offered to pay half of the salary of that local minister. And someone said, why would you do that? And he goes, well, because my pocketbook was baptized also. The funny little story, but when we give, it's biblical. It's sacrificial. It's generous. It is giving to the cause of Christ. It is giving to help other people. And it is not prescribed in tenths and percentages, but it is described and prescribed in sacrificial and generous giving. We're going to study Second uh, Corinthians 8 tonight. And we're going to see what God says about the Macedonians. We saw a verse for them, from them earlier of how they were poor, but yet they gave in a great way. They give because it's biblical. And that's the rub for us. Maybe our pocketbook hasn't been baptized. Maybe we, we would rather take care of ourselves than the person that we see in need. We have no mercy, no heart. And maybe we think we have to be very secure. And I'll tell you that there is no such thing as security in this world.